0: GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogatyourself.com and complete the contact form, and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. My guest this time is Jesse Harlan. Jesse, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? i live in the dream as always, as you know. Uh, let's go ahead and start off with the obvious, what we always start off with. Tell everybody where you're calling from, what kind of dog you run.
1: Um, calling from, uh, Woodstock, Georgia. And, uh, I run a, uh, a female Springer Spaniel named, uh, named Gypsy Girl.
0: Nice. So what, what made you want to go with the Springer Spaniel?
1: It was a, it was kind of a lead up. It's a few things. Um, me and my, I, I went, you know, backtrack, I went hunting with some buddies, uh, one of the guys had a, you know, had a lab and I just, uh, the way he was just working the dog out there, didn't, no, nothing amazing, just, you know, retrieving. And I just, I was like, I was like, man, dude, like, I, I love this. Like, that is so cool. Like to work with the dog and see the dog do what it does. And I went home and I told my wife, I was like, I want a lab. And she was like, no, we're not getting a lab. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we need a dog that's a little bit more compact. We're always kind of, In and out of the house, so to speak, you know, we never really stay put. We're always in the truck doing something, going out somewhere. So um, she's like, we need something smaller. So uh, back when I was recording my own podcast, uh, I was interviewing folks and I ran into a guy who uh, out of Massachusetts runs a Springer Spaniel and he duck hunts with her. And I mean, she breaks ice, does all this stuff. And I was like, that's the dog. I was like, that's it right there. She's small enough. I was like, look at this. And she's, you know, cool family dog had no idea about cocker's yet or I probably would have gone that route but it was really between a boykin and a springer and then uh we went the springer route man i um found a breeder and and i just fell in love with fell in love with the dog and you know yeah
0: so you got you got the approval or at least the the okay nod from from the wife this time, what was the process of finding the breeder? You know, as, as you said, this is your first one. So it's like, how do you go about trying to piece together something about a breed that you really kind of know next to nothing about other than, you know, that it's going to go pick up some ducks for you?
1: Well, um, it's kind of funny. I was doing somewhat research on the dog for a while. So when I went on that duck hunt, it might've been two years before I got out of the army. So. And that's when I kind of had already an idea I wanted a, a, a Spaniel, period. Um, we just didn't know which we were going to go into, obviously, that interview. But I had listened to podcasts. I had listened to your podcast. Uh, I listened to a few others. Just anything I could get to learn about the breed and what they were about. And it completely glossed over to me that there's a field, a field bred and a bench bred line. And when we looked up a breeder, I found one in Georgia uh, well, that had puppies and, uh, I, you know, looked it up and just listen to your podcast, you know, always explaining, you know, look at your readers, see how they're rotating the dogs, you know, is it clean, you know, this and that. And, uh, and we found one, she rotates her females, rotates her males, uh, all AKC real, real pretty dogs. And I made, you know, obviously the, <laughs> what we always talk about is, you know, we, we chose a coat. Um, I wanted a blue roan. I thought it was interesting for a springer to have that because I only seen cockers have that. And this lady had tons of different coats and the dogs real pretty, real smart dogs. So, um, yeah, we just decided to put money down on on one and, uh, and I, and we got, we ended up getting gypsy.
0: And how's that worked out for you, but making the decision on the color, because, you know, it, it's, it's hard to tell people not to go make a decision based on color, right? Especially when you're first one, because I mean, at the end of the day, we're living with these dogs. We want to live with a dog that we find attractive, that we enjoy looking at and and seeing around our house yeah. and working in your lifestyle. So it, it is an element. I don't want somebody listening to this like, oh, color doesn't matter at all. I mean, you, you have to appreciate how the dog looks, but in the grand scheme of things, Colors, you know, a lot further down the list once you kind of get into this and you go through it a number of times. How did it work out in your your favor? Obviously, Gypsy's still kicking around, so something's got to be working for her, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the I just gypsy is she's very spontaneous and uh I got lucky, man. She's a um not not normally um what you would expect out of a bench bred dog. She's you know, being bench and she she was really tiny. So when we got her, um, obviously we wanted that coat. And when we picked her up, I thought <laughs> I thought I got the dog at 10 weeks. So we were sitting there and I was like, cool, got a 10-week puppy. She's pretty, real cute, real, real cute dog. And we were sitting on the couch and we're looking at her paperwork. And my wife's like, She's just so tiny. And I was like, Yeah, she's just a tiny little 10 week old, you know, and we're looking at her birth date and stuff. And, uh, yeah, the dog, the, the dog was six weeks old when we got her. so <laughs> <laughs> old puppy that I'd been carrying around. And I was like, Oh no, I was like, Oh no, what did I do? And, uh, but it turned out really good, man. She's a, uh, she's not your, when you see her, you would think that she's a cocker, but she's just a really, really dainty, um, Springer, man, not your typical, size Springer at all? I I would. I think whatever whatever happened, however lucky I got, I got really lucky with a really pretty dog and a really tiny Springer. That you know, just like you always say, a pocket rocket, man. That's what I call her. (laughs) Exactly what she is, man. She's just she's full of energy and and nothing like I would have expected. Because I got scared, man. When I when I kept listening to your podcast and I was like, oh crap, she's bench, and I was like, this sucks. And looking back at her parents, and her parents are kind of. Uh, they're pretty, but they don't look, they don't have that, uh, they don't got, they don't got that fire in their eye, you know, that you would see right. with a field bred dog. And there, obviously you can see the two differences. I mean, nobody really wants to say it, but you can see it. It's a look in their eye. It's a different type of dog. And uh, yeah. she has that. So I, I think I got really lucky and somewhere down the line, you know, she caught the bug.
0: And you're right, you can see it in their eyes, in their face, in their demeanor, especially when confronted with something that's supposed to invoke certain drive or certain qualities from the dog. You know, if you start waving a live bird in front of them and it's kind of met with indifference, it's like, well, man, you know, obviously... the The dog is within the breed. There's instincts somewhere buried down deep in there. But you know, are we going to be able to bring it out? So it sounds like you didn't necessarily have that problem to have to go dig too far. Talk to me about what it's been like actually training, because you're you're learning with the Benchmade dog as opposed to the field bred dog. And so what's that been like to where not only are you learning how to do this yourself, but you're, you're operating with a dog. That's not, you know, quote unquote bred to do this.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's what I was going to say is that, yes, uh, you know, she's got that fire now. Um, I think it's important for any handler or, or, you know, any, any dog trainer, you know, to understand that we have to build that drive for the dog, that um, it's there, the innate ability is there, but it's definitely our responsibility to bring that out of them the right way. Um, because you know, just because a dog is you know crazy out of its pants doing stuff, uh, I wouldn't really determine that as being a dog that has drive. I think that's, that a dog is just unruly. It's a, I think there's a difference there. Um, but yeah, I digress on that. but uh, trying to train with her, um, man, it has been a journey uh, because yes yeah, she is bench, so I had to dig a little bit deeper to try to get her to get that drive and introduced to, introduce to her birds a little bit earlier uh, as fast as I could. Um, I mean, her bird intro wasn't until she was about nine to 10 months. So I got really scared about that. But, uh, from the, you know, me, I've talked to you about this before when we talked offline and, and stuff like that, it was just, you know, had a trainer, uh, best that I could and introduce her and, and, and just do, and just try to get her to, to want to do that. You know, it's there. Um, but yes, I, I think if had, she had been field bred, it would have been a different story, but I kind of like it. I think, I think, this journey for me is better because I think when I do get my hands on a field bred dog, whether that be a cocker or, or any type of breed, I think I'm gonna have a really good foundation for how I want to train it because I've already been through the hardship of trying to bring it out of a dog that wasn't that didn't want to do it. Essentially, you know. Um, but you know, uh, from from what people have seen from the Instagram and, and what she's proven to me in the field, she wants to do it and she she loves doing it. Um, she doesn't have the strongest retrieve drive. I won't lie to you. Um, that that has taken some work and it hasn't been until recently that she's been bring, bringing the hand or going out there bringing me frozen birds without me having to really get on her about anything and, and kind of just switching up my training approach, you know, because it's it's more coaxing to her to get her to do it. Now, you know, now we're good. So,
0: Well, I want to pick your brain on how you went about other than just putting her in a situation with a live bird, like what was your process? How often were you doing it? Short sessions, long sessions. How were you building that drive? Because I know plenty of people that get field bred dogs and they struggle kind of developing that natural drive within the dog. So just because it's field bred or it comes from the right litter doesn't necessarily mean that it is going to be easier. On average, as a whole, it's it's you're going to have a better starting point. But the fact that, you know, the parents didn't hunt, it's not field bred and and you're, you're learning as you go. The fact that you've been able to build that drive uh, within her is pretty impressive in a lot of ways for a first time handler, especially. So I'm curious, what did you do? What was your, your thought process and method overall in developing that drive?
1: Um, The process for it was, was basically obedience. So um, I really hammered, I, I, as much as, the, the, you know, the videos are probably contrary to this, but um, obviously I posted the sexy stuff that we did. Nobody, not many people care for the obedience side of things. Let's just be honest, posting them. Um, but core foundation has always been the obedience with her. Um, she responded really well to that from from the beginning. I mean, I got a video of her when she's, she might've been seven or eight weeks, you know, grabbing a bumper, bringing it back to me. Um, and then sitting um, and I'll get to that in a second about how that kind of messed up things, but um, yeah, obedience was the was the was the main foundation. We had to have obedience because that was going to play out to everything else eventually as it goes forward. So building drive with the dog, uh, especially with somebody who lives in, in in the suburbs, I don't have access to birds all the time. Um, so I had I had I was able to get a hold of some frozen birds and do that, um, but. Even then, she still didn't know what she was doing. So basically, it was just building the want to retrieve. That's where I started. So a lot of, you know, obedience and then building retrieve drive, you know, throwing uh, with a young puppy um, where I almost messed up was I was trying to do too much yard work with her. I would say for if I could go back and do it over again, it would be, hey, throw those throw those bumpers down the hallway, make it something narrow and make her want to come back to you without taking it away from them. I think if the dog learns, hey, if I go grab this and bring it back to him and he's happy and he's touching me and he's praising me versus he's grabbing this from me and then and then I'm upset. Um, I think that builds a lot of drive in the dog. And then and then the the second half of it really would be um Getting on that, you know, we have preserves here a lot more down south, and it was that was my way of just trying to get her experience. I think the to to, to build some of that drive was was definitely getting her as much experience and exposure, really more than experience. It's just exposure. Know that, hey, that makes me happy. That it makes you happy. That you go grab this bird, you know, um, you know, and, and basically just doing a lot of yard work, man. Short grass work, I, I I recommend it. I mean, keep doing your short grass work. Work the obedience stuff. Work the recall. Um, all and make it fun. I think with spaniels, um, to build drive with spaniels, in my opinion, I mean, obviously I don't train a bunch of dogs, but just from what I've seen and heard and what I've been doing is just, you got to make it as fun as possible for them because they're just hyper kids. They just want to have fun. That's it. I mean, the structure of training that I followed was, uh, I like lab. I like retriever training itself. I think it's very structured. To some, it might be a little bit robotic because you're controlling the dog a lot, um, but I try to blend those two together, you know, still allow her to hunt, don't help her too much, but also, uh, have the structure in there the, of the discipline that I require of her. you know, Hey, bring back, sit, you know, relax, you know, and then, you know, then we can have fun.
0: Yeah. That's, that's that soldier in you talking that, that likes the, the structure and discipline, right? It's,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, the, the old, the old sergeant in me that, that I require the structure, but I think, you know, innately, I think we, we, we people in themselves you know we do desire control we want to have control over things and for me i just don't want something so out of control I, I, I don't want her to get hurt and you know people always thought oh you're being kind of hard on her or you know um you know this and that and it was like i would i would rather uh, a you would never understand the love that i have for this dog it is and it's it's for that love is why i'm so hard on her so she's safe in the field that's where it all comes down to. I mean, all your training, all your discipline, your obedience, uh, what you need to keep in your mind is safety. At the end of the day, it's for the dog's safety that it recalls, that it sits, that it stays quiet, that, you know, doesn't run in front of the gun. Uh, all those things become factors. They they all play into each other and and it's super important to have that.
0: well, and like you said, you know, uh, especially when you're in the upland side of things and, and I would argue the pointing side of the world rather than the flushing side of the world that letting go of that control is sometimes the hardest thing for certain people to do. And, and when you're talking about pointing dogs that are supposed to range and stretch the horizon and, and search independently without you, that's kind of the entire purpose of a pointing dog. Uh, you know, I, I tell some people who are like, well, I just, I have to know where my dog is at all times. My blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you know, yeah, do, do what you want. Get a pointing dog. You can rein them in if you want, but that's kind of why they make flushing dogs. Like that's, You know, it's, it play to the strength of, of the individual dogs. And now, you know, every pointing dog is different. Their range is different. Their breed, the breeds make a big difference in that, but, uh, especially for first timers relinquishing some of that control. But if you're like yourself that, that really enjoys that level of control and the structure and the boundaries within, within the process, you know, a flushing dog or retriever is a really good fit for that because that that's really what it is built upon is, is, you know, the hand signals and everything that there's a certain level of dependency that that dog has on you. So it is kind of a, you know, pick your, not, not pick your poison, but pick your preference as terms of a handler and what type of dog you want.
1: Yeah. I think, I think a lot of it, what it is, is, is there's a lot of not saying that there isn't teamwork that goes into pointing dogs. Um, I think there is there's a there's a level of teamwork there. It's just a different dynamic uh, versus with the flushing because they're ranging constantly in front of you. You're you're constantly working. Eye contact is uh, really 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 huge uh, with the flushers. And, and Just from what I've seen so far and what I've kind of teased around with 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 training. Uh, and listening to other guys like uh what is it Regland gun Dogs or reglin yeah jay yeah yeah. you know i took his his method as well uh i i've I, you know for a first-time trainer i took a lot of people's different methods and i've kind of blended them into what kind of works for me and you know when i started doing more eye control with gypsy they got so much better that there was unspoken teamwork was was going on the whole time And what I will say is, yes, I do like the structure and the control that I can have over the dog. But when you say relinquishing control, I've had to learn how to do that last season, because what I was doing was I was overhandling. I was getting to the point where I was blowing my whistle more than more than just letting Gypsy do her thing. And it kind of um, that brought on a different type of physical pressure on her. And it became more of a negative pressure. And she wasn't responding well, she would kind of peter out and then she was like well i mean then i don't know what to do anymore what do you want me to do yeah you keep asking me to go over here. this is what i'm trying to and it kind of took me a second to realize that and it was towards the end of the season we were actually doing really good after i found out what i was doing and um you know i just let her hunt you know yeah she's gonna range in front of me i still have my control but just let her hunt i mean she was finding she was obviously finding uh, some, some of those, you know, preserved birds got left out there that we didn't know that they were out there. So, um, but she would find birds on her own without us knowing the wind would pick up. And the next thing I know, she's, she's behind us kicking up, you know, uh, a duck that got left over from the lake or, or a pheasant or another chucker that was out there. And then it just occurred to me, I was like, I need to chill out, you know, let me dog do its thing. And then I can, I can continue hunting and and I'll control her when I need to.
0: Yeah. I was just talking to to a buddy about this the other day. It seems like every the more I learn, the more I realize to just remove myself from the equation. A lot of the times, trust your setup, trust your, you know, your process. If, if, if you're doing a planted bird sequence, let the setup, teach the dog, let the bird teach the dog. You don't have to inject yourself into everything. You know, you kind of did that by orchestrating the setup, so to speak. So, you know, so what you said, you, you said that you're doing a lot of preserves, are you focusing primarily on are you trying to get to where you're doing an upland combo with, with retrieving on, on the ducks, or do you have one priority over the other? What What's your targets with gypsy?
1: So I, I attempted the duck hunting with her. And like I said, I, that, that gentleman that out of Boston, you know, he duck hunts with her and he told me, he said, work on upland first, uh, work the upland game with her, let her know what she needs to do because um duck hunting and the upland hunting with a flusher is this i don't know if people are going to yell at me for this story. i find it in my mind i kind of find them one in the same one of them is she kicks them up and she's you know she's going to sit you know while we shoot those birds and she's going to mark them and she's going to go get them versus duck hunting she's not needing to flush up but she does need to sit there so in my mind i'm like well they're kind of one in the same in a sense. So one just requires her to move a little bit more. Um, so we'll get to that. I mean, I, I, I took her on a preserved duck hunt just to see what would happen. Um, she loves to swim. So, I mean, if you ever get a Springer, I mean, this dog, I can't get her out of the water, but she, she refused to pick up the duck. Um, I don't know if it was just too big for, uh, she's a very sweet, gentle dog. So I I don't know if she's just not, not aggressive enough to grab it yet or, or we're not, you know, she hasn't been exposed to it enough, but, um, Right now, we're going to focus on doing a couple preserves this season. I, I've I've already kind of planned uh some you know wild grouse hunt up north in at North Carolina or on the Tennessee Georgia border um with uh, with uh, Dr Jenkins actually we've been talking about doing something like that together uh and kind of just linking up with other guys that want to hunt wild birds um wild bob whites and stuff like that and woodcock we're gonna really get after it this season doing that um just because and we'll go to we'll go back to the preserves because it's just you know it's home over there for us and uh when we're not getting on enough birds i want her to continue getting that exposure she's still a very young dog um so i want her to still be able to receive that reward of hey i found the bird you know i I'd still i don't want her to lose that fire yet
0: it, that's to say, You've spent so much time and and energy building that drive. You don't want it to fall off just because we live in the southeast. It, it is what it is. You're going to cover a lot of ground. You're going to go a lot of time in between birds, and and sometimes you just need that easy win, so to speak, for for that dog fire back up and and then confidence. Yeah, con, build, up. building confidence and 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 have her hunting while we're while you're out there. So that's really interesting, man. It it, it makes a lot of sense to me. So. You know, as, as you know, on these profile episodes, I, I kind of ask everybody the same two questions. The first of which is I, I want to hear uh, about a learning curve, an experience that you've had training Gypsy that is relatable for everybody else. What's a mistake that you've made while training with her that you think other people might find useful to, to hear themselves?
1: Um, trying to steady your dog too early. I think uh, that's a good one. I think that was the biggest mistake that I made was trying to steady her up when throwing bumpers and, you know, thinking again, I was trying to have too much control. Um, I didn't, you know, if your dog is six weeks, seven weeks, 10 weeks, uh, let the puppy be a puppy. Um, let them, let them have fun retrieving, let them have fun grabbing those bumpers and bringing them back to you. And just, and just throw a lot of fun bumpers. Um, um, that was the way that I fixed Gypsy's a lot of her retrieving was, I took a step back at 12 months, uh, to a year, actually, I think maybe a year and two months to be exact. And I said, all right, we're going to do fun bumpers a lot more, uh, listening to this, your podcast and loan ducks, uh, you know, doing that, doing that, that fun bumper at the end of a, of a session or a tennis ball. Uh, I think tennis, tennis balls are cocaine to freaking spaniels. So <laughs> it, that, the entire world shuts off. So I started running tennis balls more, um, and that that again that kind of played off to the drive aspect of it, but that uh yeah man just I, I would say let the dog be a dog let it be have fun uh, start working on setiness slowly integrate it slowly and the dog is going to accept it a lot more. She kind of didn't accept that and then it kind of it kind of killed her drive. You know, oh you're always holding me back. It just it just wasn't fun for her. So I had to build that back up and then the the hand retrieving started becoming a lot better. For sure,
0: that man those fun bumpers. I end every session unless it's just a disaster of a session, which we all have from time to time to where you go out there and you're looking at the dog. and You're like, what the heck happened to you? Like, (laughs) (laughs) this was not you yesterday. It's not going to be you tomorrow. Uh, But, you know, it, it, it happens to the best of us. You know, we all have our bad days. But, you know, unless we just have a disastrous session. I'm ending every training session with fun bumpers for for Lucy and Rachel. Quinn doesn't care about them uh, out in the field. She'll she'll do retrieving. Uh, my English Setter Quinn. She'll she'll do re- the retrieving inside the house. But the second you leave those doors, her her only focus and and drive is to go find birds, go run and find birds. So uh, tr- still trying to figure out what what I can make the exciting like exclamation point to her sessions at the end of it. But I, I'll figure that out later. But those fun bumpers, man, they go a long way to where if, I mean, the dogs, it, you just said it, you have to keep it fun. It, you, you do, you know, they get drugged down, they get bored. They start anticipating all these corrections. They'll get frustrated because it's like, all right, dude, you just told me to go right. Then you're already blowing the whistle at me. And I just took one step. Now you want me to go back, then left and zigzag and, and all this other junk it's like you know, just give them some room to have fun and and be a dog, and and realize that the work is supposed to be fun. I know we call it work, we call them working dogs, but they but they truly need to enjoy the work for you to have any success and and be able to train within that drive.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and then uh, sorry, one one other thing too, um, man, uh, leave the leave the training outside the home. Um, you know, that was the other mistake that I made was we would we play we would play and train outside and then we'd bring it inside because i, I was so obsessed with trying to get her to to want to retrieve and that was another negative consequence of that was that she was doing it so much that uh it wasn't fun for her anymore man it's like your mom making your favorite meal on for your birthday but she made it every day you get tired of yeah. it yeah and it got to the point she was doing that in the house and then she wouldn't calm down in the house and now i'm having to I'm having a back step now where now I removed all the bumpers in the house or even not bumpers, but just stuffed animals. Anything that she wanted to play with, I moved them out. All she has is an antler in her place board. Now that she's hitting two years old, she's already kind of calming down on herself, but we're trying to really uh, push that on her. It's like, hey, look, we're here. Just, just chill out. Relax. <laughs> Training's outside. And it's actually paid itself off in dividends. Uh, now when she gets home, now she's amped to train. Super amped outside and start retrieving bumpers they're, they're faster they're they're just they're cleaner retrieves because now she knows hey when i get home we're going outside and then when we come inside i, I shut it off you know for and sure man thing. i think folks need to just realize that as first time trainer, just just do that
0: for sure Le- less is more in a lot of a lot of ways mm-hmm. for sure So uh the the next question that I ask everybody and I and you've been listening for a while, what's one of the episodes, guest topics or something that we've covered throughout the years that have helped you in some way, shape, or form that really stands out to you?
1: Um really it's gonna be uh man, all of them, but really the ones that stood out to me uh were the puppy ones because I listened to those before I even got gypsy. So your puppy series was really helpful and obviously Anything that had to do with flushers, I, I list to, But uh really, yeah, the puppy series and um the force Fats series. I really like that. I like taking getting your take on that, um, and hearing everybody else's and again, you know, just morphing it into something that works for me.
0: And that that's just it, man. It's just like here's all the information, you know, chew it up, you know, swallow what makes sense to you and spit out the spit out the bones and and it's, uh, the, those series are a lot of fun. I, I truly enjoy doing the series, especially like force fetch. It's, it's hard for me to kind of go into force fetch mindset and out of it and in and out of it. So when I did that series, it was just like, all right, we're going to hit it hard for a few weeks. I'm going to be in the zone on force fetch and just being able to get so many different perspectives throughout the entire process of force fetch. I really enjoyed doing that and, and I learned a lot from doing it myself. So I'm glad that that you enjoyed it and found value in it as well.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I I, I really enjoy those episodes. I, I'm such a sucker for for dog work period and uh, methodology and training. And so those are my favorite. You really, I mean, your episodes that dive deep into picking people's brains on the mythology and the psychology behind dog training. That's the stuff that I really enjoy. That's the stuff I really nerd out on how to quote-unquote, manipulate the dog to think that it's their idea. Those things, <laughs> right? I really, really enjoy those. Uh, obviously, everything else is enjoyable, but when you really want to dive into the weeds of things, that's that's where it's at because that's when you can really start messing with your dog um, and, and you know, anything with the e-caller too. I mean, e-caller work, I think that's the most unappreciated topic uh, that people just don't listen enough to.
0: Once you kind of get down into it and you can find enjoyment and, and value in trying to put your brain into dog thinking mode like when you're trying to think of things that in terms of a dog and how they're going to interpret it then you're on the right track and so i'm with you like those are the episodes i particularly really enjoy doing is like let's get down in the weeds and, and figure out why does this method or approach work and, and more often than not it just you're you're going above and beyond trying to make it make sense to the dog rather than having the dog make sense of whatever it is that you're trying to do with that you know i know that that's pretty
1: vague i know but it was it was it was the episode you did with that couple um from uh the perfect uh perfect kennel so they were yeah
0: perfection uh, kennels
1: yeah yeah perfect yeah you know where where he talked about the low the dog's already standing there it already stopped so now you just you know and ever since i heard that now i watch all these videos and i see guys saying whoa and i'm like you guys need to listen to that episode (laughs) because, you know, and it, and it really took that. I I took that and applied it to my own training is, you know, obviously, you know, I I do repeat a command, you know, after she does it to reinforce the command, but now it's to the point where if she's already doing it, I don't need to reinforce it. I mean, her reinforcement is the retrieve or it is the, the chance to, you know, to take a cast or something. Um, I really took that as for what it was and, again, you know, just applied it to what I was doing already.
0: Hey, I think, you know, especially a lot of beginners and, and myself included, when I first started and some buddies and I've had this conversation uh, with my buddy, Austin, specifically over the years, as he, he still argues with me on it, which is part of the fun. Uh, so much of what people are commanding their dogs are already built into what they should already be doing. Right, like, like I mean, it, it just your your example of woe. It's like woe does not mean stay, and really, you shouldn't be using stay as a command either. You know, if you give the dog a place command, then stay is built into it. If you tell it to sit, it should stay s- sitting until you release it. Now, a lot of this is should. The key word is should. If you actually do it correctly, now there's nothing wrong if you want to say sit, stay, or or place, stay, whatever. You know, each their own. It's nobody's going to come. You know, take your dog away from you for doing it. But you know, if if we can all agree on the the meaning of the word, which "woe" means stop. So if they're already stopped, how can they are how can they stop if they've already stopped? So you know, that don't mix and match that. You know, and and that's where a lot of people's confusion comes in. To where it's just like they're woeing the dog uh, inside the house when all they're really doing is that they're using it as a stay command instead of a stop. Then they go out in the field and they want their dog to stop and they're yelling well. And they're like, well, why are they not? And what, why is it not stopping? And it's like, well, the dog is just rolling. He he has no understanding that that means to stop. It, he just thinks of it as a stay command.
1: Yep. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly what I was going to say was um, you know, folks, they get that way when they hear commands uh, that they, they're giving their dog a command and they think that the dog is going to comply to that command especially when they run e collars, that's the one that's the one thing is that you know they'll, they'll they're like well i'm asking the dog to come back here and i'm hitting the e collar, but he's not coming back i was like well the dog doesn't understand why it needs to come back have you have you worked have you done it with on a short leash have you done it does the dog know that hey when i feel pressure i'm supposed to come back to dad because when i get back to him he's super happy so my my happy place is next to him um But then when you're just you're out there burning the dog and you're like, yeah, the dog did a backflip and that's it. You're just like, yeah, but the dog (laughs) or, you know, because dog's going to do two things. It's going to either run away or lay down to avoid the pressure. Uh, It doesn't understand how to how to break the pressure by coming back to you. Um, And it's the same thing that applies with any command. You know, they always wonder why, you know, like you're saying, I'm saying, whoa, like, well, you didn't teach the dog what that meant uh you know as rudimentary as dogs can be and not be uh they do understand a plus b sometimes and some things are that you know and if you're not saying hey a plus b means a again you know you need to stop because i'm giving you the command they're they're just going to go with the c or the d and they're going to be gone so no absolutely
0: man i agree well, Jesse, I, I'm glad we finally circled around and, and did this. I know we talked a while back when you're first getting her or you had just first gotten her. And so you're trying to, to uh, figure out what the heck to do with it. It's like, you know, I got this dog, what do I do? So uh, pretty common. So it's, it's kind of neat circling back a couple years uh, later and, and being able to, to, to have this conversation. I look forward to kind of getting some updates as, as you continue moving on and and I'm interested to hear how she does this, this off season on, on, or not off season, this hunting season on wild
1: birds. Yeah, dude, absolutely, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate you uh get me on here, man. It's good talking to you and uh, hopefully we'll get you on our side one day and, and get you for an interview when, whenever we start back up. So.
0: Yep. Sounds like a good time, man. Just let me know if you want to, if you want to plug anything as we wrap this up, go right ahead.
1: Yeah. Just, uh, uh, plug, uh, my Instagram page. to um gypsy gypsy co Outdoors. um it uh, sounds like an official company it's not <laughs> i don't sell nothing on there uh but it's just you know it just shows me and gypsy's progress a little bit of training on there you know just my my amateurness that i'm doing um and you know if you have questions about stuff i mean i just hit me up on there uh the dog community is the biggest plug i can give is, is the, the, the bird dog community everybody is is so awesome uh real gracious to, to lend you help give you advice and uh, a lot of it's a lot of it is free all you got to do is ask so it's it's been great Built a lot of great relationships with the bird dog community
0: that's great i enjoyed it man we'll talk soon
1: all right buddy i appreciate it
0: thank you for listening to gdiy if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under gun dog it Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gun dog it Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out BeProKennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance.